specifically towards children, right? For, for the longest as a church plant, we just take warm bodies, right? And I think we're, the ne- we're, the, we're in the next place of, of our church, in the next season of the life of our church. And we want folks that feel called to the ministries that they served in. And sure, you might have to try a couple of ministries till you find the right fit. And if you've never given children's ministry a try, I suggest you do that. But during the summertime, we have a, a, a lull in volunteers because a lot of our college kids are back home. And um, so I'm just going to throw that out there. Kelsey didn't ask me to do that. But no, seeing the amount of kids that we have this morning uh, made me want to make that announcement. Amen? All right, let me just pray real quick, and uh, we'll get started. I'm, I'm excited to share with you this morning. Jesus, we are here because of you. Lord, we're also here, some of us, because um, our mothers made us come. <laughs> and Lord, we say, no matter how folks got here, they're not here by mistake. You have a word that you want to deliver to us, and that you have a word that you want to equip us with, and... Um, Lord, we say we're receptive. Would you say that with me? Say, I'm receptive for what you have for me this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, if you don't know, we are in the middle of a Nehemiah series. We're actually towards the beginning of a Nehemiah series. Nehemiah is one of the uh, 12 historical books of the Bible. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah in the Jewish canon or in the Jewish Bible are one book together. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah are both known for leading uh, a revival of sorts among their people. They um, saw that there was a problem in the city of Jerusalem, right? Uh, The city of Jerusalem has always been uh, near the heart of God, uh, and the city's walls were broken. The temple had been destroyed. Ezra, 144 years um, before Nehemiah, takes on... uh, the job of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem takes on the job of rebuilding the temple itself. The second temple, they call it. And um, Ezra comes up with, you know, up against a lot of different obstacles um, to the point where he has to stop building, basically, um, because people in and around the area of Jerusalem do not want him to build because to build would mean that It would infiltrate on the status quo, the people around the city of Jerusalem who then had power and who then liked things the way things were. Amen? About 144 years later, Nehemiah, I'm just giving you a a brief recap, um, gets news that uh, the city is is broken. It's been burned by fire. Uh, The walls are torn so their people, the people inside of Jerusalem, are vulnerable to attack they're vulnerable, um, you know, to, to being taken advantage of. And Nehemiah proposes is in his heart to do something about the matter. He prays and fasts for four months. And he finally gets an opportunity to go before the king. And the king says, you're sad. You're never sad. Nehemiah, as you might know it by this point, was the king's cupbearer. He tasted the the wine for the king to make sure that the wine was not poisoned. Right? Last week, I made a point that how many wine connoisseurs do you know that can work a skill saw? Not very many, right? 
But Nehemiah was called by the Lord, even though he was a wine man, pinkies up, right? To do the job of a mason, to do the job of a, a construction worker. Why? Because Nehemiah was primarily a man of prayer and a man with a heart for the Lord. God will use anybody if they're willing. Nehemiah was a layman, right? Which means that he, was, he didn't wear uh, priestly robes, neither do we, right? Somebody judge me about my sandals, all right? <laughs> he didn't wear priestly robes. He, he wasn't so concerned with what other people thought that the people that were of the word were supposed to look and sound like. But yes, he was a man that um, uh, was of high esteem after being in exile for um, a couple of hundred years, um, probably about 275 years or so, almost 300 years. The people, some people in Israel had risen to ranks among uh, the Persian Empire to the point that the king really trusted this Israelite. Last week I made the point, I stole this one from Jim, that the only person that um, an enemy of the king would have to find to betray the king may be the guy that's in charge of the wine. Because if you're a wine person, you know that, you know, you got to have your wine. Because if they got Nehemiah or the cupbearer, and they basically had the king. You're connecting the dots there. So in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about Nehemiah being a man of prayer. We've talked about the Lord calling people that are uh, uh, just willing to serve. We talked about Paul's, that, that great leaders don't just rush into action, right? They identify a problem, they pause, they process and pray. And today... We want to talk about the opposition that people face when they're trying to bring about reform. All right? Opposition. The, 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 the beef. Somebody say beef. All right? Uh, the, the problems that you face when you're trying to turn things for the better. All right? So today we're in Nehemiah 2, chapter 9. Nehemiah 2, verses 9 through 20. Let me first just, uh, just define reform for you. A person who's a reformer, rather. A reformer is a person who works to change and improve a society, government, and church. Okay? That's what Nehemiah was. Nehemiah was a reformer. Say reformer. And I believe that, Lord, that the Lord is calling us to be reformers as well. Here, right, right where we're at in our city. Right? To be a reformer in our families, to be a reformer in our neighborhoods, to be reformers in our nation, right? Um, to be people who work to change and improve our society, our government, our church, etc. etc. Amen. So Nehemiah faces many conflicts, right? But the issue is not that. Conflicts in and of themselves aren't bad, right? If you're 
a human being, you're going to face conflicts. Right? The issue about conflict that makes it bad is that sometimes conflict goes unresolved. Right? So conflict's not bad. Unresolved conflict is what's bad. Right? And the reality is that not all of us know how to deal with conflict well. The way some of us deal with conflict is we gossip. Right? Somebody say, ouch. Okay. The way some of us deal with conflict is we bottle it up and we don't know how to deal with it. Right? You internalize it, right? Or everything, everything is conflict. Some of you are, everything is conflict, right? A couple months, I was, maybe a year, year and a half ago, I talked about this. I talked about the different types of people that, and the different types of people when dealing with conflict, right? Sometimes we say drama queen, right? But let me tell you something, there's drama kings too, all right? Talk about it, right? Talk about it, right? You're going to make me start preaching something different. I'm not. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I can. It's Mother's Day. We, let's stick on the queen part. So, so conflict happens, right? And um, we have to know how to deal with it, right? Especially when you're trying to turn a corner. Right. Because the people that have been in places of power and influence are not going to be about you turning a corner. Because what does that mean? That means that they lose their power, that they lose their influence. Right. That their say goes down and your say goes up. Right. But I believe that in this time and, and, and in these moments that the Lord is calling us to be reformers. Amen. I'm going to give you four things that I find in this passage, and then I'm going to break these things down. The first thing is that passivity is not a trait of a reformer. Passivity is not a trait of a reformer. Someone who is called to change something or be an agent of change doesn't just sit there talking about the need for change. Right? If complaining... If complaining is one of your main characteristics, if you are known, now ask your friends, all right? If you're known for complaining, because your friends, if they're your real friends, they will tell you. Am I known for complaining? Right? If, if you're known for complaining and not doing anything about the thing that you complain about, you're probably annoying. Yes, <laughs> that's annoying. And there's many reasons that annoyance is okay. Like being a person that wants to turn the corner and make things for the better. And you're going to annoy the, the right people. But if you just go and just complain all the time, that is not a characteristic of the godly. Not just of the reformer. That is not a characteristic of the godly. We've all fallen into that. Ouch. All right. We've all fallen into complaining. I'm not making myself out to be higher than you or not. That's something that I struggle with. Okay. Can I put that out there? But the Bible says, do everything without complaining. So that means that when I am complaining, I'm sinning. Okay. 
I'm preaching to myself. Can you understand this? All right. This is I'm talking to myself. You're just hearing my thoughts. All right. So the first thing is that passivity is not a trait of a reformer. And I would say sub point to that is, hey, man, just complaining. That's not a good trait of the godly either. The Bible explicitly says to us, do everything without complaining and groaning. All right. So that's number one. Number two, reformers want to know the facts. All right, we'll see in the passage that Nehemiah goes around the entire wall or what's existing of the wall, what's left of the wall, because he wants to know. He's, he's not afraid of getting the real facts. Just because we ignore the facts does not mean that the facts do not exist. There are problems in our neighborhood. There are problems in our city. There are problems in our nation. Bring it home. There are problems in your family. That I believe that the Lord is calling us to address. And we want to know the facts. Again, just because uh, uh, you ignore the facts does not mean that the facts do not exist. A couple weeks ago, I shared some digits with you. I shared some numbers with you. Some disconcerting facts about uh, poverty, about uh, graduation rates about um, single parenting and stuff like that. It's disconcerting, right? About, un un about biased policing. You know, I, I, I shared those facts with you. And just because we ignore the facts doesn't mean that the facts are not true. All right? Number three, apathy is not the response of those who benefit from the reform. Apathy is not the response of those who benefit from the reform. Okay? If we talk about changing and turning the corner in our neighborhoods, turning the corner in our city, turning the corner in our state and in our nation, for the better, establishing the kingdom of God, because we're agents of the kingdom of God, we're not agents of social action. All right. We're agents of the kingdom. And because people matter to God, people matter to us. And the things that matter uh, that influence the, the quality of life of people and the way that others live matters to God. It matters to us as well. We're not social workers just because we're Christians. It doesn't make us social workers. I'm not talking about the social gospel. I'm talking about social responsibility bestowed upon us because we're believers. Book of James says, don't just be hearers of the words, be doer of the word. Amen? I'll, I'll break this down a little bit more. And lastly, the price of progress or reform is paid in a currency called struggle. The price of progress or reform is paid in a currency called struggle. I think it was Frederick Douglass, great abolitionist and uh, Christian. His story is awesome. I have an extra autobiography of his. If you want it, I'll give it to you. Without struggle, there's no progress. I think that's what Frederick Douglass said. If there's no struggle, there's no progress. So what the Lord is calling us to in this day, right, 
is not for a chilling of the saints, but for a stirring of the saints, a wake-up of the saints, and for the saints to be fired up about the things that fire God up. Amen? All right, now let me start preaching. Nehemiah 2, 9 through 20, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. This is Nehemiah speaking. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen, but when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. All right? So right off the bat, I'm about to do something great for my city. Nehemiah is saying, I'm about to restore my city. I'm about to rebuild the walls of my city. But the status quo, the people who are in power currently, those who have influence over the city, right? The 1% say, hey, 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 wait, 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 wait. What are you doing? Mind you, Nehemiah had permission from the king. But the local government is saying, hey, 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 slow your horses. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told them, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Okay? He acknowledges the facts. The walls around Jerusalem are broken. All right? They've been burnt up. Again, my people are uh, vulnerable to attack. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the walls. He wanted to know the facts. He wanted to know the facts. So he went and inspected the work that he was, a, to see what work he needed to do. All right? He wanted to know the facts. Nehemiah wanted to know exactly how much material he would need to rebuild the wall. Where exactly he would have to place the, the, the more skilled workers. He wanted to know exactly where he would begin. So he went up at night by the valley and inspected the wall. You know, we're, we're in an underlying theme here. Uh, in 2015 of leadership development for our church. Um, you know what? Sometimes leaders work while everybody else is sleeping. You know, if the Lord's is calling us to be leaders, sometimes the price of progress is paid in a currency called struggle. And sometimes while everybody else is asleep, we're burning the midnight oil because we're not apathetic and because the things that matter to God matter to us. Amen? 
And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, now Nehemiah is speaking to the people of Jerusalem. Mind you, it's interesting to know uh, to note that Nehemiah was not from Jerusalem. Catch this with me. Catch this with me. Nehemiah was not from Jerusalem. Nehemiah was from another corner in the Persian Empire. Nehemiah had not grown up in Jerusalem. Really, basically, Nehemiah could have said, well, that ain't my city. Really. Nehemiah could have said, but he had an affinity towards the city because he knew the significance of the city and his forefathers were from there. So it mattered to him. And you, you know, sometimes chances are that people that you have a lot of familiarity with, you know too much of their crap. You know too much of their stuff. It's going to be hard for you to follow them sometimes. Not because they're... You know, the person that you do follow has a lot of stuff too now. You just don't know it yet. You know? But I think the Lord is cognizant, knows human weaknesses and frailties because he's like, man, listen, I'm not going to raise up another Jerusalemite to have these people. Because if he could have done that already, he would have done that already. But he didn't. He brought someone in from the outside. Even Jesus put it this way. He said, in his own household, a man basically cannot be a prophet. He will not be honored in his own household as a prophet. How many of you guys know that firsthand? You want to you bring your family into the fold of God. You really want to, you know, you, know you, you, you try to encourage your spouse to pray, but it's not happening. Because they know what you did that morning to get them angry. They know you cheat on your taxes. You know. Ouch. Ouch. I'm not trying to start no beef. All right. I'm just calling it how I see it. Uh, That's right. Don't start nothing. Doesn't mean that the other guy that's coming in doesn't have his own stuff to deal with. But God um, understands the human condition. That it's hard for us to trust people that we, you know, have, have given us trust issues. <laughs> so he brings in Nehemiah, and uh, Nehemiah starts to lead the people, and he leads the people well. And this is what he says to them. You see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins, and with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, this is the people, right? And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. What does that mean, they strengthened their hands? Did they start lifting weights all of a sudden? No, that's metaphorical language to say they got ready to to put it in to put the work in, right? They, they made up their minds. That's basically what they mean. And they made up their minds that they were going to do something for their community. That they were no longer going to be apathetic. 
That they were no longer going to be play the victim card. I wish our communities would stop playing the victim card. Oh, we're black. Oh, we're Hispanic. Oh, we, we don't have money. Oh, nobody in our family. You have the God of gods on your side. The almighty God. I have him inside of me. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Y'all not listening to me, man. Not listening to me. Do you hear what I'm saying? I listened to a sermon a couple of weeks ago, and it was actually a sermon that was given on Mother's Day by, um, I think his name is Reverend Weller from Enon Tabernacle right here in Philadelphia. And he said this. He said the difference between a victim and a survivor is the victim looks at what's lost. The survivor looks at what's left. The whole wall ain't gone. There's still pieces of the wall. There's parts missing. Where do we start? Where do we begin? Sign me up. That's what the people were saying. All of a sudden, they, they got a catalyst. They, they got a leader that came in. Mind you, he prayed for four months, traveled for a whole bunch of other months, now has inspected the wall, is facing opposition, but is inspiring his people to do for themselves. Were they the same people the day before? Something had changed. Why didn't they start building a week prior? You know what had changed? They had gone from operating under the, under the victim spirit and moved over into the overcomer spirit. The overcomer spirit that the Bible talks to us about in the New Testament. We are overcomers, right? Regardless of our past, our future does not need to reflect that. Are you following me? Are you with me? Can you talk to me? So they strengthen their hands for the good work. But when Sambalot, the Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant and and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us, they made fun of us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Nehemiah says to them, this ain't about you. You didn't call me here. I've heard. I take my orders from somewhere else. 
Mind you, he never said, oh, the king gave me permission because the king had granted him permission. King Artaxerxes, right? Notice who he says, the God of heaven will make us prosper. He could have name dropped. He could have said, yeah, Artaxerxes, that's my homie, right? King Artaxerxes, that, you know, I hang with King Artaxerxes, you know? Me and King Artaxerxes, we play spades, right? We play dominoes, or, you know, poker night on Wednesdays. He didn't drop the King Artaxerxes card. He said, you know what? I know you want to oppose me. But I ain't worried about you. <laughs> I am not worried about you because I take my orders from the, from the King of Kings from the Lord of Lords. And he will see to it that we prosper. Amen? Have you ever faced people like this in your life? That the moment that you try to turn a corner, there's some naysayers. You say, hey man, you know, where are you going? What are you doing? You're not going to change. I'm never going to change. Let me bring this kind of Blew this together with the New Testament real quick. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says this about our salvation. For by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one would boast, because we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are not saved because we're good people. In fact, the Bible says that the opposite is true, that no one is good. How about them apples? You tell me if for all of your life you have measured up to the law of God. James says, if you once broke the law, You've broken the entire law. You're going to tell me you never stole candy from your neighbor? You're going to tell me you never told your mom a lie? You're you're going to tell me that you never drank one too many beers? Somebody say, ouch. <laughs> Yingling, right? That's America's oldest brewery. If you broke one of the laws, you've broken the entire law. And that's not why we're saved. We could never save ourselves. By grace, we're saved. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. Because Jesus loves us, he gave his life for us. Love is at the heart of the gospel. His love for us is at the heart of the gospel. And then he says, reciprocate that love. The love that I have for you. Now use that love. And from that love, go on and love others. 
as you love yourself. I love the way those three work. Love God, love yourself, love others. And Jesus said, that's where all of the law and the prophets can be summarized in, in, in that. Our entire Christian walk is summarized in that. Do we love well? That's the question that the Lord is going to ask us, really, when we get to heaven. I believe. He's not going to say, hey man, fill in this scantron with a number two pencil. Make sure that all of your questions are answered correctly, that your, your theological you know, assertions are correct. If you look at Matthew 25, one of my life passages, it says, when I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was thirsty, did you give me drink? When I was in prison, did you visit me? Basically, what do those questions say? Did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? That's the doctrinal questionnaire. It's fact, it's not a doctrinal questionnaire, it's a practicum. And that's why we're in the Nehemiah series. Because I believe that the Lord in this season has called us to be a people that love our community. Now the Bible in the old King James says, love thy neighbor, right? How about we say this, love thy neighborhood. And we say that, love thy neighborhood. But we can't expect that some other people out of nowhere are going to come and, you know, minister to the needs of our neighborhood. We got to minister to the needs of our neighborhood. We got to be the agents of change in our neighborhood. We can't be apathetic in our neighborhood. Drive by a problem, like, oh, that's not my problem. We are our brother's keeper. That's what Jesus says to us. You know, and we're going to face conflict in the process from our families, sometimes even our spouses, if we're not on the same page about serving the Lord and how to serve the Lord. You might be on the same page about serving the Lord, but you might not be on the same page about how you're going to serve the Lord. So you, so you got to pray. What are the principles here in the book of Nehemiah that we're taking? Nehemiah was a man of prayer. <clears throat> Nehemiah was a man that um, experienced the whole gamut of emotions. He, he loved his city, but he's also fearful when he was before the king, Right? But he did not let fear paralyze him. You know, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is moving forward in spite of it. And I feel like the Lord this morning really wants us wants to do two things. The first thing he wants to do is give us a fire about the things that are wrong in our neighborhood. So we need to be ticked off. Some things need to tick us off. Some of us are ticked off by the wrong things. By gossip, he said, she said. By things somebody posted on Facebook about you. Or it probably wasn't even about you. You just read into the subliminal because you're so uh, uh, insecure about yourself. You think everybody's thinking about you. That's called narcissism. Nobody's thinking about you. Except Jesus.
And your mama, of course, because it's Mother's Day. <laughs> but some things need to tick us off. There are things wrong in our world and in our nation and in our neighborhoods that need to tick us off. And if they don't tick us off, we're apathetic. And that's not a quality of the reformer. This should tick you off. One out of every four women are sexually abused. That ought to tick you off. That ought to put a pit in your stomach. One out of six men, the same is true for them. But we never talk about it. That ought to tick you off. Yeah, there's physical abuse. That's just to start off. That ought to tick you off. You know what else ought to tick you off? That you know some people that don't know Jesus. And to quote Jesus, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. And the folks that don't know the Lord or not walking with the Lord have an eternity that is not secured with Jesus in heaven. Read between the lines. So if their eternity is not secured with Jesus in heaven... And we have a problem. Our hearts ought to break for that stuff. Those are just two things that ought to tick us off. A couple weeks ago, I talked about how more money goes into the prison systems, building the prison industrial complex, than goes into building the schools. We have a $400 million building going up here in, outside of Philly to go into the prisons, while our schools are in a deficit. More and more schools are closing each year. That ought to tick you off. You know what they say in schools? They say, don't read the Bible, right? But in prison, they encourage you to read the Bible. That ought to tick you off. I could go here and just name a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm sure you can name a whole bunch of stuff. But we are too often ticked off at the wrong things. Oh, somebody left a lot of garbage on my lawn. Welcome to the club. <laughs> I'm going to do it to them. Yeah, that's real Christian of you. You get, you get my drift? Opposition's going to happen, and you're going to have to struggle. And I love that Nehemiah did not back down from this fight. You know? Ne Nehemiah... Um, did not allow himself to be intimidated. And intimidation is one of the main tools of the enemy. I, I recently heard somebody say that the enemy is a roaring lion, but he's only a roaring lion because he ain't got no teeth. His powers have been disarmed on the cross. And you're sitting there giving the devil a bunch of compliments when you worry about the devil too much. All right. Now I want me to preach. I love you guys, man. 
the end here, I see one last thing in, uh, in, in this last verse. And I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. And right here is, this is the, you know, the last thing. I think we can, can somebody go get Kelsey? Go get The price to pay, um, the struggle is the price we pay to live out our prophetic destiny. I'm going to say that again to you. The struggle is the price we pay to live out our prophetic destiny. God has all created us. God has created all of us um, with a purpose and a design. And we talked about weeks ago how in the book of Acts, it talks in Acts 17, that the Lord has affixed the borders and the times and places so that we are in Wissanoming right now, not because we're in a, because it's out of a mistake, out of a coincidence. God has orchestrated all of history so that you are where you are right now. And so when we engage the struggle, we fight for our prophetic destiny. What does that mean? We fight for the purpose that God has created us for. When we're not apathetic, we fight for our destiny. Right? When we're not passive, we fight for our destiny. When we want to know the facts, we fight for our destiny. Because how selfish of us to just do... Um, Or not do, because it will or will not benefit us. I love this quote by uh, by Native American tribe um, here in the United States, and it talks about the earth. Right, the earth um, does not belong to us. They say it is loaned to us by our children. Love that imagery, right? I'm not an animist. I know that the earth belongs to the Lord. Got it. Psalm 24, 1, the earth belongs to the Lord. But just that picture of that, the earth does not belong to us. It is loaned to us by our children. Is, is Courtney up here? No? She's downstairs with the kids. All right, I'm going to ask you guys to stand and, and respond to, to this somehow. I don't know. Does, uh, yeah, thanks, Scott. Um, does anybody have any comments or any questions about any of the stuff that I just said right now? Okay. I'd like to think that. Thanks. <laughs> Apathy. Apathy, um, and, and somebody else fill me in here too if, if, if I mess this one up. Apathy is when we don't care. When we, you know, um, kind of like, eh. You know, you throw your shoulder up. Hey, man, you know, this person's really struggling with this. They don't have very much to eat. Eh, not my problem. You know, that, that defines apathy, you know? Instead of saying, well, you know, John the Baptist told the people that, um, that were his followers, they said to him, 
He said, now that you're believers, if you have two coats, give one away. That's the absence of apathy. That's the charge. Yeah, it's being able to relate with folks. It's having empathy, right? Yeah. And it's finding, hey, there's a common place here. That's good. Amen? How about we pray for that? Can we pray that the Lord would give us empathy, that the Lord would shake up our bones, that the Lord would make us care about the things that he cares about, and that we would embrace our prophetic destiny in our neighborhood. Amen? Amen. Can we have a couple of you guys pray that? This is a full contact church. This isn't just me talking to you. This is you talking to God. You're not talking to everybody around you. If, If today's message has stirred something in you, would you pray some of that stuff back to the Lord? Go for it. Mother Teresa um, was once asked, um, there are a lot of dying people in your city of Calcutta. Don't you ever get overwhelmed? And Mother Teresa said, no. Because I focus on the one. The one. The one that's right in front of me. The person that is right in front of me. The person that is dying right in front of me. Some of you might know that Mother Teresa, her ministry was to the dying. 
And she said that her ministry was not to make the dying well, but to help the dying die well. She was called to the lepers of India. And I say the same thing for us. Would, would, would you, Lord, help us not be overwhelmed by all of the work that is needed in Wissanoming and Taconi and Mayfair in South Jersey and in other parts of the city, but that we would focus on the one, the neighbor directly across the street, the person directly across from us at our lunch table, right where we're at. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, I think we have Kelsey. Is Kelsey ready? All right, you guys can take a seat real quick. Today is Mother's Day, and I just wanted to um, acknowledge something um, about Mother's Day and just acknowledge all you moms. Can we give a round of applause for all of uh, the moms that are present among us? Last year, I came across uh, a writing that I really like, and I, and I read it last year, and I want to read it to you again. It's about uh, acknowledging the whole continuum of, of mothering. And uh, so I want to read this to you, if you'd allow me to do that while we wait for Kelsey. So mothers, to those of you who gave birth this year to your first child, we celebrate you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who are experiencing loss, who've experienced loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes and prods and tears and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things, please. We don't mean to make this harder than it already is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm, close relationships with your children, we celebrate you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who've experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who've lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way that you longed it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envision lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we stand with you. To those who will have emptier nest in this coming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. <laughs> to those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. Yes, babe. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart. And we have real warriors in our midst. And we remember you today. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. All right. So if you had a kid in children's ministry, they have some gifts for you. All right. Find your parents. 
Find somebody you can give your flower to. Make sure you say Happy Mother's Day when you get there. Oh, or Grandma's Day. <laughs> or Foster Mom's Day. All right, kids. It's good. How about we do this real quick? Who else still needs a rose? Who else still needs a rose? All right, we got three roses over here. Here, you guys help me out. Pass those out. Right here. Help them out. Who else still needs a rose? All right. There you go. All right. If you're around someone with a rose, would you just put your hand on them and let's pray for them real quick. Father God, we thank you so much for the mothers in our midst, those who are uh, uh, struggling to have children, those who have lost uh, a child. Lord, we bring all of these things to you, Lord, those who are expecting with child, Lord. Um, and we bless the mothers, the mothers-to-be, and the mothers who want to be mothers, Lord. We bless the spiritual mothers, Lord. Um, Lord, and we just ask you, Lord, for, for great things for moms, Lord. If it weren't for our moms, where would we be, Lord? So, so Lord, <laughs> that is so true. We bless our moms, Lord, and we ask, Lord, that you would, that you would allow us to honor our, our mothers, to the days of their deaths or ours, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, let me bless you, and then you guys can go on and get your barbecue on and do whatever else you're doing. I bless you guys. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he would send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and keep you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. God bless you guys. Have a great week.